listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 18th of May 2021. Later, super funds are on track for their best financial year performance in almost a decade, but first to regional property prices, which according to CoreLogic has grown by 13% in the year to April, outpacing capital cities at 6.4%. So can it continue? For more, I spoke earlier with Tim Lawless, the Head of Research at CoreLogic. Tim, Australia's regional house values have outpaced that of cities over the past 12 months. Why? Well, they've outpaced substantially. We've seen regional housing values rise by about 13% compared to the capital cities up about 6.4%. And this is all about supply being outweighed by demand. We have seen demand very strong around regional markets. Uh, We can see that in the demographic numbers, more people leaving the capital cities, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria, moving to the regions but also fewer people leaving the regions to go to the capitals. And this is happening against a backdrop of relatively limited supply levels. So part of what's fueling this demand, of course, is the fact that more people can work remotely these days, that this newfound popularity of, of working from home is a big factor. But also we are seeing more people looking for lifestyle accommodation. The tree change or the sea change is also a big part of this trend. And that can really be seen in some of the, uh, the highest performing markets. Do you think the speed at which this house price increase happened would have happened if we didn't go through COVID? Probably not. And uh, I think this this remote working uh, uh, situation or a trend that we've really seen through COVID is going to be something that stays with us for a while. Uh, it's, it's really proven up to be quite productive that people can, can work from home. And that's opened up a lot more regional markets often where housing is much more affordable or where there's a lifestyle dividend to be had as well. So I think this is very much a a COVID amplified trend. So to what extent do you think these price gains can be maintained in regional areas as more people start to get vaccinated and more go back to working at offices in cities? I don't think that the vaccinations are going to play a big part here. I think what's really been attractive about regional markets has been both their affordability and their livability. And if people still have, I guess, this positive legacy of COVID being they can work remotely, I think that will see a lot of regional markets remaining very popular, but probably that'll be most uh, noticeable in markets that still have, I guess, the best of both worlds, areas where you can commute back to the major cities if you need to, or areas that do have the benefit of a major airport where uh, travel back and forth to the major cities is relatively efficient. So if we look through the report, which areas have seen the best gains and those that saw the worst? Well, there are some really distinct themes here, but the two main ones tend to be the lifestyle markets, particularly coastal lifestyle markets, are right at the top of the list. So markets like uh, the Richmond Tweed area, which includes Byron Bay, uh, the Sunshine Coast, the Gold Coast, all very strong markets. We're seeing well and truly double-digit pace of capital gains. Down the end of the list, we're seeing markets that uh, don't have a lot of those commutability factors we were talking about earlier on. You know, Bunbury is a pretty good example of a lifestyle market that has been very popular and values are rising, but nowhere near as fast as what we're seeing across some of the more uh, high profile lifestyle markets like Byron Bay. Another example will be some of the more rural markets where values aren't rising anywhere near as much as what we're seeing across some of these coastal lifestyle markets either. And the demand for these kind of purchases, are they happening for those people wanting to move out there, so owner-occupiers, 
Or what about investors? Because the thing is, we're, we're not seeing that overseas migration coming to Australia. So who will be renting these homes? Well, it is mostly owner-occupiers, it seems, at the moment, although we probably will start to see a transition as prices become more unaffordable. Of course, there's fewer owner-occupiers that uh, can participate in the market, especially around markets like Byron or, or Noosa, where the typical value of a house is now well, well above a million dollars. Um, I think more investors will be attracted to these areas because of the prospects for capital gains and generally very tight rental markets. But then to your point, the flip side here is for locals uh, who are looking to buy or rent and they don't have the benefit of, say, a strong rate of, of income growth, we are going to find that affordability pressures are going to become quite pressing in many of these markets, potentially forcing locals to look further abroad, maybe having to increase their commuting times to, to get back to the areas where they might have um, lived for a much longer time. Tim Lawless there from CoreLogic to the Australian share market now, which rose 0.6% on the 200 at 7,066. For more of the day's action, I spoke earlier with Nathan Somersandaram, the CEO of Deep Dark. Analytics. Nathan, the market's up today. What's driving the gains? Uh, it's mainly the reflation trade. So you're seeing resources having the lead. So you've got miners doing quite well. You're doing uh, energy stocks are doing quite well. And that's driving up the Aussie dollar. And when Aussie dollar does well, the banks do well. So our, our all school sectors like uh, resources and banks are doing well. And that's driving up the market. Okay, you're talking reflation. So to what extent is the inflation story really driving the way the market is moving at the moment? I guess the RBA said a pickup in inflation and wages was likely, but only gradual and modest. That, that's what it said in the statement today. You've got commodity prices surging and James Hardy today saying inflationary pressures are also rising. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing um, this from everyone from Warren Buffett to West Farmers to James Hardy telling you costs are going up. Um, you've seen producer price index um, everywhere from India to China to Japan are going up at historical high levels. So that's all telling you that inflation is real. It's going to be there for a while. But every central bank is using the same wording. It's transient. It's not going to be around too long. It's not going to be too much. But unfortunately, the data points the other way. And history tells you they generally get it wrong. So this is what the market is worried about. So the market is pricing in inflationary worries. So I guess one way that's being uh, played out in the market is with the gold sector. Yeah, the the gold sector historically has been a great hedge for inflation, um, as well as the currency trade. We are seeing substantial debasement in the US dollar. So that's both playing in quite well for the U, for the spot gold price, and that's driving our gold sector. Most of our gold stocks have been up uh, 4 5% in the last couple of days, and I continue to see that doing quite well. Um, you're, you're getting into that period where the market is already seeing U.S. inflation above 4%. Uh, next month, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you're looking at a number around 5 to 6%. Now, the U.S. Fed will continue to say it's transitory, it's short term, it's not going to be much. But unfortunately, what it does do is it raises the cost of debt and continues to raise it. Yes, it may come down to a lower inflation rate later, but it doesn't mean the cost is going to come back. So we're still going to have higher costs. So what does this all mean for how investors should be playing the share market at the moment? Well, the interesting part is we're moving away from paying anything for high growth stock to actually paying for cyclical growth stocks. So you have to start looking at sectors that actually benefit from economy opening up, that benefit from higher interest rates. So one is obviously gold. Another sector that's been ignored is insurance sector. 
they benefit substantially from reflation and rates going up. So those kind of sectors will do well. Then you look at things like transport, tourism, and you start looking at uh, logistics companies, those kind of businesses, media companies, they tend to benefit from better economic activity. And very briefly, just quickly on Bitcoin, right, because the value has gone down 25% over the past week. Um, Those in it like to talk it up. Those out of it like to talk it down. While many experts tell me how we don't understand it, so we don't touch it, yet fundies have got some exposure to it. Not all fundies, some of them. What's your take? Oh, look, I think the underlying technology is phenomenal. There is huge capacity within it. Now, when it comes to the currency side of things, I always expected regulation is part of this. It's the growing pain for any any asset. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. Look, the cryptocurrencies could move 30, 40, 50% uh, up or down in any given year because it's still going through the early stages of proving what it is. I think at some point it'll become some of a some of an asset class that'll trade. I'm not so sure it'll be a currency per se, but it'll be an asset class. So in that context, uh, it's going through those growing pains, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Central banks will have to work out how to deal with them. So once that sorts itself out, I think you'll get much more higher penetrations into the investments case. At this point, I think it's just too hard. You know, most people struggle with the basic asset classes let alone high-tech asset classes. But I think it'll play a part in the future. I just don't know what part, but it'll be a part of our investment cycle. Mathan Somersandaram there from Deep Data Analytics. Now to superannuation funds, which are on track this financial year for the best 12 months in nearly a decade. Chant West says the median growth fund rose 2.2% in April to be up 14.7% since July, for more, I spoke with Chant West's Mano Mohan Kumar. Mano, how would you describe super performance so far this year and why are we seeing these gains? The median growth super fund has returned a staggering 14.7% over the financial year to date through to the end of April. That strong performance in part has been driven by the development and subsequent rollout of vaccines and optimism around a return to some economic normality. And of course, governments and central banks have provided great support to economies and investment markets. How do you see it wrapping up this financial year and how does it compare with previous years? It's hard to know what's going to happen over the final two months of the year. But say if the final result remained at the April level, it would represent the highest annual return since the 2012-13 financial year when super funds returned a very impressive 15.6%. And let's not forget that this comes on the back of last financial year where we ended up with a better than expected result where the loss was actually limited to less than 1%. Now, let's put all of this in context and historically as, as well, right? So since the start of compulsory super back in 1992, can you run us through how super funds have performed and even how they've gone through uncertain economic times like the GFC and the, and the tech wreck? Since the introduction of compulsory super in 1992, super funds have returned 8% per annum. That's more than 2% in excess of the typical return objective. And that's despite three major share market downturns. So that's the tech wreck, the GFC, and most recently the COVID crisis. And 
at the end of this year, we would have had 29 financial years and only four negative years in that period. Mo- Mano Mohan Kumar there from Chant West. You can follow me, Business Ricardo, on Twitter and Instagram. Tomorrow it's all about the wages data. We'll speak to you then. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 